If you would uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to continue on our exposition of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at the passage right to the end of the chapter. Matthew 1.18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, they came before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now last week when we were together, we saw that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, was a son of Abraham and a son of David. We saw his human descent through Joseph. Joseph was a a legal heir to the throne of David. And in other words, what we saw last week was that Jesus was a son of man. And actually, if you remember, technically Jesus was actually son of The woman, remember verse 16 where it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so Joseph was Mary's husband, but Jesus was actually born of Mary, not of Joseph. And throughout our passage last week, we we traced the the fathers of Joseph, so-and-so fathered so-and-so all the way on, all the way down, to Joseph, but the pattern was broken in verse 16 where it says Jesus was born. And so the emphasis there is that Joseph was not Jesus' physical father. Jesus' birth then was unlike any other birth. And our passage today continues to answer this most important question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? And the answer to this question, the way that you answer this question is a hinge that either opens or closes the door to eternal life. I I like to see the, the question on a membership application because you can tell a lot about a person and about a person's spiritual estate in that one little question, who is Jesus Christ? And Matthew tells us in this text that legally Jesus Christ is the son of Joseph. He is a son of man, but, but spiritually or physically or however we, we want to say that, he is God as well. Jesus is God and man in one person, born of Mary according to the human nature, but born of the Holy Spirit according to the divine nature. And as God, Christ was eternally begotten of the Father, having no beginning or end, and yet as man He was born into this world or conceived by the working of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary. And so in this passage today, we're beholding what Paul called in 1 Timothy 3.16 the mystery of godliness. God the Son added to Himself a human nature, a fully human nature, so that He could save His people from their sins. And so Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And we're going to see Jesus today as we look through the story, as we look through the five characters in our story. And so verse 18 begins, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And the word there translated birth is the same word translated genealogy from Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so the sense of it here is that this is the origin of Jesus Christ. And the focus really isn't on His birth at all. Actually, the focus is on His conception 
and his identity. There's nothing about the birth of Jesus in this passage. And on the human side, what we're going to see is that that Jesus became a son of Joseph and thereby a son of David, a rightful heir to the throne of David because he was adopted into Joseph's family. And on the divine side, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at our passage then. And we're going to kind of break this down through the five people that we see in the text. And the first one, we're going to call it Mary's Maternity Matter in verse 18. Mary's Maternity Matter. And so verse 18, continuing from where we left off, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal isn't something that we have in our culture. It's, it's very similar to our engagement, but the couple was also considered to be legally married. And so betrothal was typically a year-long period, or at least up to a year long. And a betrothed couple had very limited contact with one another. The, the only contact that they would have, if they had any, would be in public places. And after this period, after this betrothal year, there would be a wedding ceremony and then the wife would come to live with her husband. And then and only then would the marriage be consummated. And yet in this whole time of betrothal, they were considered husband and wife. And so if you look at verse 19, and her husband Joseph being a just man. So they were betrothed, they hadn't consummated the marriage and yet they were regarded as husband and wife. And so the couple was considered married, but the marriage wasn't consummated. And to get out of a betrothal, you would have to get an actual divorce. And so Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And note, Matthew makes this very, very clear before they came together. And that's a a delicate way to say that they had no physical relations before this time. And it's very likely that they would hardly have known one another at this point. Marriages were often arranged and the the young couple often didn't even know each other at this point. And in this state, in this betrothed state, Mary is found to be with child. And if we flip over to the the book of Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 1, we we see how uh, a, a fuller picture of the timing of this whole thing. So go with me to Luke chapter 1. Mary's relative Elizabeth had conceived, and according to verse 7, Luke chapter 1, verse 7, she was advanced in years, and she was formerly barren. Now flip over to verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. This is the, the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so an angel uh, of God is sent to a to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And Mary now knows that she's going to conceive, but she wonders, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel tells her, verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary is, is then given a sign in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
And so Elizabeth, who is called barren, who is formerly barren, she has also conceived. And this is a sign to Mary that what the Lord said through the angel would also happen to her. And so Mary now goes and, and leaves Nazareth to stay with her relative Elizabeth. And so in verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And now just we can kind of skip down there to verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. And so if you're following the timing there, Mary left town for three months and on her return, she is now three months pregnant. And so she was betrothed to Joseph. She leaves town. She comes back and she's three months pregnant. And Joseph doesn't know about this whole angelic visitation. He doesn't know that this birth is from the Holy Spirit. All he knows is that the young woman that he's betrothed to is pregnant, and he would know without a doubt that he was not the father. And so the question then is, what would a righteous man do in this kind of situation? He, he certainly couldn't marry a woman of loose morals as he would have believed that, that Mary was. And so secondly then, as we just follow our text, we're back in Matthew now, we see Joseph's just judgment. Joseph's just judgment. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph is introduced to us here as a a just man. The word is dikaios. It means righteous or just. He's a, in other words, he's a good man. And the sense of the word here is that Joseph is an upright, devout man who obeys God's law. And he does what is right according to God's word. And what did the law require in such a case? Well, let me read to you part of Deuteronomy chapter 22. It says there, Deuteronomy 22 verse 13, it says, if any man takes a wife and goes into her, and there, what, what's going on here is there's two cases happening. There, there's one case in which a man hates a woman and accuses her falsely of, of some kind of unrighteous conduct. And then there's another case where the actual thing is true. And so I'm just going to give you the case if the thing is true. If, if the, the, the woman has indeed um, conducted herself improperly during the, the married period or during a betrothal period. So if any man takes a wife and goes into her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her saying, I took this woman and when I came near her, I did not find in her evidence of virginity. And then the, it goes on to tell about the case where the man's doing this falsely. But then in verse 22, in verse 20 of Deuteronomy 22, it says, but if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so the law in Israel as God's holy people required purity and the penalty for this kind of sin for this kind of fornication before marriage was death but by this time by the time of joseph and mary the romans had put an end to the jewish practice of the death penalty and so the common practice in a case like this was to divorce and divorce was permitted according to another law deuteronomy 24 and verse 1 it says when a man takes a wife and marries her If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And so divorce was permitted according to the law and in his righteousness, Joseph, he could have opted for the harsher, stricter demands of the law and yet he didn't want to publicly disgrace Mary. And it might help to just remember here that even though they were married, Joseph likely didn't know Mary very well at all. They, they probably didn't even have a chance to talk it out. There probably would have been no opportunity for them to get together and for Mary to say, this is a child of the Holy Spirit. And, and so Joseph resolved to quietly divorce her. 
And divorce was fairly common at that time. Uh, the, the rabbis were apparently divided on a, a just cause for divorce. Some of them interpreted Deuteronomy 24.1, which we just read as, uh, as a strictly, and uh, they said that it was o- the only just cause for divorce was immorality. Others said that if a woman finds favor in a man's, or, or finds no favor in a man's eye for almost any reason, it was permissible to divorce her. And so Joseph resolved to obey God's law in this situation, but he chose the path that would be the most merciful to Mary. He's going to give Mary a certificate of divorce, and all it would have required was two or three witnesses to sign that certificate. And so Joseph then becomes an example of a righteous man. And this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, emphasizes righteousness more than than Mark, Luke, or John. MacArthur says here about Joseph, he says there's no evidence that Joseph felt anger, resentment, or bitterness. He had been shamed if what he assumed had been true, but his concern was not for his own shame, but for Mary's. And so righteous people are people who are obedient to God. They obey God's law, and they don't merely obey it externally, but they obey it internally in their heart joseph had no anger no resentment no bitterness but he resolved to do what was right in this situation before the eyes of god and so joseph was going to do what was right but he also cared about and thought about others as he sought to obey god next then we see number three the angel's authoritative announcement the angel's authoritative announcement look at verse 20 but as he considered these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not fear to take mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit and she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins We could probably better translate that first clause there, having considered these things. It it seems like Joseph's mind was made up here. And and the angel then interrupts Joseph's plan. Joseph is going to divorce Mary quietly, and the angel visitation then comes to him in a dream and interrupts his plan. And notice how the angel there addresses Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David. And this reminds us what's at stake in the whole situation. If Joseph doesn't marry Mary, then Jesus won't legally be a son of David. And if Jesus isn't a son of David, then the prophecy won't be fulfilled that he would be a son of David. And so the angel interrupts this plan and says, and says do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now Mary as, uh, taking Mary as his wife is likely going to bring shame on Joseph. After all, She's pregnant, and they're betrothed, and so people are going to think that Joseph and Mary were unrighteous in their betrothal period. But the angel says, don't be afraid about that. Take Mary as your wife. The angel says, do not fear. And the reason that he should not fear is that that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now as we think about miraculous birth, the Scripture uh records a number of miraculous births. Remember Abraham and Sarah conceived when Abraham was a hundred or ninety-nine years old? And when the angel told Sarah that she would conceive and, and bear a son, she laughed because she thought this is pretty much impossible. And many barren women throughout Scripture gave birth and answered a prayer. We could think of Rachel and Hannah, Samson's parents, even Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. And many of these exceptional births of barren women, many of these children were children specially used by the Lord to further His purposes in the world. And so we think about these special births like Jacob and Moses and Samuel and Samson and John the Baptist and the way that the Lord had especially and particularly worked through these people. But never had there been a birth like this. Never had a mother conceived without a father in the history of the world. Now perhaps the Holy Spirit was somehow involved in these other conceptions, but never had that which is conceived been from the Holy Spirit. And so this is an amazing conception here. uh, An amazing thing has happened. And we might wonder ourselves, if we were 
recording this piece of scripture, we might wonder, well, how did it work? What, what, what happened there metaphysically? What, what were the physics of this whole thing? But, but scripture doesn't tell us that. All we are told is that Jesus was from the Holy Spirit. Or like we read in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And if we think about that, how would God even explain to us how this thing happened, how this worked? All that we can grasp is that that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, added to Himself a human nature, took upon His Godhood and 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 added a human nature, and that He was then born of the Virgin Mary. God became man in such a way that He remained what He was as God and became what He was not as man. And so this is the mystery of mysteries. But the mystery is revealed in Scripture, and this union of God of man, of God and man was necessary for our salvation. And that's what the angel introduces next. Why is God doing all this? Why this virgin conception? Why, why, what is this all about? Well, verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we could spend a whole Sunday just looking at this verse, just unpacking this good news. There's, there's an emphasis on the original that, that's hard to bring out in English. The emphasis there is on he. He. We might say he himself will save his people from her, his sins. Or, or this one will save his people from their sins. And so the emphasis is on Jesus as the Savior. He is the Savior. And the name Jesus has the meaning through the Hebrew, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And so the angel is saying, call him Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And we see then that Jesus is God come to save his people. He is God come to save his people. And note too there the certainty of the angel's words. He doesn't say he might save his people from their sins. It's not he will try to save His people from their sins. It's not He will make salvation possible for His people. There's a, there's a sense of certainty here. The angel says He will save His people. And look how specific it is too. He will save His people. He's not going to save some people from their sins. He's not going to save all people from their sins. He's going to save His people from their sins. And so we ask then, who are His people? Who are these people who this Savior is going to save from their sins? And we might think initially that, that His people is Israel and, and Israel is His people. But as we go through this Gospel and study the rest of this Gospel, we're going to see that many Israelites were not saved. His people, by the end of the Gospel, extends to all nations. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this is, uh, his people then is really all nations, make disciples. And really throughout this whole gospel, his people are called disciples. They're those who come to Jesus. They're those who give up their lives for Him. They're those who love Him more than their family and even more than themselves. His people are those who take up their cross and follow after Him. And the reason that these people come to Jesus and love Him is because they have been saved from their sins. They have been saved. They have been delivered from sin. Now, as we think about who are His people, the Gospel of John makes this really clear as well. So I want you to flip over to John chapter 6. In the Gospel of John, and really throughout this Gospel, Jesus 
calls his people, he calls these people that he's going to save, he calls them those that the Father gives me, or often all that the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me. And so John 6.37, for example. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And so all of the people that belong to this group called that the Father gives, all of them, Jesus says, will come to Him. In verse 39, He says, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There's that same group there again. All that He has given me. And Jesus says He will lose nothing of the group, all that He has given me, all that the Father has given. And of this group, Jesus says He will raise them up on the last day. And where will He raise them up to? Well, He's going to raise them to eternal life. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And so there's a group of people who were given by the Father to the Son. And Jesus says all of this group will come to Him. And negatively, He says that nothing of them will be lost. Not even one of them will be lost. He will raise them to eternal life. And from verse 40 as well, we see that coming to Jesus in this sense means to believe in Him and have eternal life. And so there's that parallelism that to come to Him is to believe in Him, is to have eternal life, and such a one will be raised up on the last day. Now John chapter 10, turn there as well. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls the same group of people that He's going to raise up on the last day, He calls them My sheep. My sheep. And so John 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Then in verse 29, the sheep are given again by the Father. Note that they are, that they are, they are those given by the Father. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so these sheep, these people, at some point in their lives are going to hear Jesus' voice in the preaching of the gospel, and they are going to believe in Him. They're going to follow Him. And He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish. And they will lead holy lives. We don't have to worry about this. They will lead holy lives because they will be saved from their sin because they're going to follow after Jesus Christ because they hear His voice and they know Him and He knows them. Now, it doesn't mean that they will be perfect. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. But these people are going to increasingly grow in Christ's likeness until that day when Jesus raises them up. Now, there's so much more that we could say about this, but I just want to say one more thing. Look at verse... 26. Just before this section, he says, but you, he's talking to the Pharisees here, to the Jews. He says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And so there's this particular group of people that the Father has given to the Son. They are his sheep, but these people in verse 26 do not believe because you are not among my sheep. These people don't believe because they're not Jesus' sheep. You see, people believe because they are Jesus' sheep and not the other way around. People are not sheep because they believe. Hopefully you can see that distinction. People believe because they're Jesus' sheep. People are not Jesus' sheep because they believe. And so Jesus will save His people from their sins. He will make atonement for their sin. He will pay the penalty for their sin. He will bear the wrath of God for them and their sin. And then He will draw them to Himself and He will give them eternal life and cause them to believe and follow after Him. Now this might maybe bring up a question in your heart. As as you wonder about this, you might wonder, well, how can I know if I am one of these people? How can I know if I am one of Jesus' sheep? 
And one of the best things that I found is to remember the parallel aspect of this. And that's again in John 6.37. We already looked at it. But there it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. And so if you come to Christ sincerely and you trust in Him alone to save you, He promises never to cast you out. And if you are willing to come on His terms, you can be sure that it's His saving grace that has made you willing. And so hopefully that helps you as you think about this. Am I one of His sheep? Well, have you come to Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Him? Have you turned from sin and and believed upon Him? Then you can know, yes, indeed, you are one of His sheep. He has chosen. You have been given as a gift to Jesus Christ from the Father because otherwise you would be utterly unwilling to come to Jesus on His terms. And so the angel's authoritative announcement tells us exactly what would happen. Mary would bear a son. Joseph would call His name Jesus, and Jesus would save His people from their sins. Now the wording of verse 21 is very similar to the Greek translation of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And that's exactly where Matthew then takes us next. And so forth now, we see the prophet's prophetic prediction. So we're back in Matthew. We're in verses 22 and 23. The prophet's prophetic prediction. It says there, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew tells us that all of this, the the conception, the angelic visitation, the naming, all of it took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, note that wording there, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Just as an aside, Matthew believes that Scripture is God-breathed. He believes that what Isaiah wrote is what the Lord had spoken. And so Matthew believes in the inerrancy of Scripture that God has breathed Scripture and that what Isaiah spoke is the exact same thing as what the Lord Himself spoke. So what we want to do then is go back to Isaiah 7.14 where this quote is taken from. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It says there, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now to see what Isaiah said and how this is fulfilled in Matthew, we need to really understand the context of what Isaiah said. And so we need to really go back to Isaiah chapter 5. And really, this is, this is a really cool thing here, what, what Matthew is doing and what Isaiah is prophesying here. But in, in Isaiah chapter 5, I, Isaiah 5 is known for the six woes. Six woes upon Judah. God is going to judge Judah for its sin. And so the woe to Judah. And in that context, Isaiah says that Judah is going to go into exile. And so look at Isaiah 5. And verse 13. Therefore, because of all the sins that he lists in that chapter, therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. My people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Judah will be exiled as a judgment for her sins. And then in chapter 6, maybe you know this section pretty well, Isaiah explains his call as a prophet. Isaiah is going to go and preach to the people for the Lord until they're brought into exile. And so look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. After Isaiah's vision, here's what the Lord tells him to say. Uh, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah 6, 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, and this is Isaiah speaking, I said, here I am, send me. And he said, Yahweh said, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing and do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy 
and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? Isaiah wants to know, how long do I preach this message of of dull ears and heavy hearts and blind eyes? How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a tree branch or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And so Isaiah's message or mission was to preach to the people, to preach them really to sleep, to preach with no results, to preach people blind. And he was to do this, according to verse 12, until the Lord removes the people far away. In other words, until the people go into exile. And almost nothing would remain, Isaiah is told. But God promises there at the end of verse 13 that He would leave a stump. He's going to cut off the tree, but He's going to leave a stump. And the stump would be the holy seed. In other words, God would protect the line of David through whom the Messiah would come. Can you see that? God's going to protect the, the, the Davidic line through this exile, through this judgment. And then in 7 verse 1, starting at verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in, in league with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, here's what's going on here. The king of Syria and the king of Israel are going to come and join together and fight against Judah in Jerusalem. And the house of David, remember the house of David is Judah, Jerusalem. And Ephraim there is another name for Israel. And so these two kings, the Israel king and the Syrian king, are going to come against Jerusalem and attack. And Ahaz, the son of David, is afraid when he hears this news. And in verse 3 it says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shirjashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And so Isaiah and his son, Shirjashub, are going to go and meet Ahaz. Now, Shirjashub means a remnant shall return. And so Isaiah named his son after this prophecy. Isaiah names his son, a remnant shall return. In other words, you're going to go into exile, but remember, a remnant shall return. Probably not what we would want to name our children. But, but look what Isaiah was to say then as he goes to Ahaz. He says, say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. And so Isaiah is saying, don't worry about this at all. The plans of these kings would not stand within 65 years. Israel would be shattered from being a people and there's no need to worry about these two kings coming against you. And so Israel would actually be exiled in only about 17 years from the day that Isaiah gave this prophecy. And so look at verse 10 then. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So Ahaz was supposed to ask for a sign that 
this would come to pass, that what Isaiah had just prophesied would come to pass, that there is no need to worry about these two kings coming up. But Ahaz refused to ask for a sign. The sign would have confirmed the message that Judah would have been delivered from those kings. And so in verse 13, uh, he said, that is, Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And notice Isaiah's response goes beyond Ahaz, and he addresses the whole house of David there. And, And you is plural in verse 13 and following. And so it's not just you, Ahaz, but it's you, house of David. And so God is speaking to Ahaz and really the whole line of David after him. And he says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. And so there's our verse. And here's the sign to the house of David that they would not utterly be destroyed. And it's a sign that those kings would not succeed. Now now try to follow along here. Look at verse 15. He, that is Emmanuel, shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And so who is he in verse 15? It's Emmanuel. Emmanuel is going to eat curds and honey. And, and that is the food of poverty. It's like cottage cheese and some honey. It's, it's kind of like, you know, rotting milk and honey. That's like it's all you can find in the land. Because of the judgment on the land, the food is scarce. And all you can have is kind of like rotten cottage cheese and whatever little bit of honey you can find. It's the food of exile. And so Emmanuel is going to eat curds and honey. Emmanuel would be born in poverty. Now see this. Before Emmanuel arrived and was old enough to know good from evil, right from wrong, the land of those kings would be deserted. Rezin and Pekah would be deserted. And that's good news for Ahaz because it means those kings aren't going to destroy him. The bad news is a worse enemy is going to come. That is Assyria, the king of Assyria at the end of verse 17. And so notice again that the sign doesn't say when Emmanuel would come. Just that before Emmanuel is old enough, those two kings would be destroyed. Those two kings would be dealt with. Now some people wonder, how could Jesus born 700 years later be assigned to Ahaz And they think Emmanuel must have been a child born in Ahaz's day. But remember, Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, and the prophecy here is directed to the whole house of David. Now chapter 8, as we just kind of follow this context, tells of the birth of another son. Seems like a son of Isaiah. His name is Maher Sha'al Hashbaz. And this boy is another sign, another sign of really the same thing. So look at chapter 8 and verse 3. I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Sha'al Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Remember Damascus and Samaria, their capitals of, of Syria and Israel, and those countries would be taken captive by Assyria before Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians. But Maher Shahal Hashbaz is not Emmanuel. Maher Shahal Hashbaz was not virgin born. His name means speedy is the spoil, the prey hastens. And so this is not Emmanuel. But Isaiah chapter 9 then continues, and Isaiah continues to look forward to the coming of Emmanuel. Verses 1 and 2, and we're going to see these later in Matthew come up. Verses 1 and 2 talk about a light coming out of Galilee, a a light that brings uh, light to the darkness even of the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 speaks about Emmanuel, that that he is, it says there, for to us a a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And notice especially there the second title of this son, Mighty God. And so this son is Emmanuel. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us. He would be the one who preserves the seed because He is the seed. He is the ultimate Son of David. And He might eat curds and honey when He comes initially, but eventually He would rule over the throne of David forever. Now as we continue in the context, Isaiah chapter 10 talks about Assyria and how Assyria is going to come and, and take these nations into exile. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, Look at verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Remember, there was going to be, uh, the, the, the destruction in the land was only going to leave a stump. But now Isaiah says, There's going to be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Remember, Jesse is David's father. And so there's going to be a little shoot from the stump. And, and he, he's also called a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 10 then of Isaiah 11. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." And so Matthew, if we, if we follow the context here, Matthew is telling us that this one has come. That this is the promised son of David. Now you might say, but his name wasn't Emmanuel. His name was Jesus. But notice too, he wasn't called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus wasn't called Mighty God. He wasn't called Everlasting Father. His name wasn't Prince of Peace. The idea here of name is that this is who He is. This is who He is. Jesus is God with us. A literal translation of Emmanuel again would be with us God. God with us. And, and He is also Jesus. That is, Yahweh saves. And so God's salvation allows God to dwell with us. And so Matthew is, is telling us that Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah predicted the virgin birth of Jesus, that God would be with us, that He would deliver His people not only from exile, but also from their sins. The one that Judah had waited 700 years for was born of Mary, of the Virgin Mary and His people. Those of us who have been saved through Him, we call Him Emmanuel. It says there, they shall call His name Emmanuel. And so we as His saved people recognize Jesus as God with us. We recognize that Jesus is God in human flesh and that because of Jesus' salvation, God is with us. And so that was the prophet's prophetic prediction. And Matthew says it has been fulfilled. Next, we're going to see here number five, Joseph's obedient action. And so Joseph wakes up from his dream and Joseph obeys the angel. Joseph didn't delay. Joseph didn't stall. He woke up and he did exactly what God commanded him to do. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And so Joseph took Mary as his wife and he named the boy Jesus. Now when Joseph names the boy Jesus, that's the equivalent of adopting him into his family. And so by this action, Jesus becomes a literal, uh, a legitimate heir to the throne of David. And Joseph even seems to go beyond what the angel commands him. He did not know Mary until she had given birth. And so Matthew makes it super clear that Jesus was born by no natural means. 
And so we can ask again in closing, who is Jesus Christ? He is the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, Son of Mary according to the flesh. Jesus is fully human, exactly like us except for sin. He was born separate from sin without a sinful nature, but like us in every other respect. And at the same time, Jesus is also fully God. He eternally existed as God. Jesus is the only one then who was alive before He was conceived. He is God in human flesh. And as I said earlier, we needed a God-man to save us. Only man could represent men, but all other men must pay the penalty for their own sins. And so we needed a sinless man to represent us. But only an infinite being could pay our eternal penalty. We needed Jesus to be God, to bear the wrath of God in our place. We needed Jesus to be God to earn for us a perfect righteousness that would allow us to dwell with a perfect God. And so do you know this Jesus? Colossians 2.3 says, In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1.19 says, In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the Savior of His people. He is the mighty Counselor. He is the mighty God. He's the wonderful Counselor. He's an everlasting Father. He provides and protects for His people like a father does. He is the Prince of Peace. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the first and the last. He is one with the Father according to the divine nature, and yet one with us according to His human nature. And those who know Him will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You and we thank You for this Jesus, fully God, fully man, come to represent us, come to save us from our sins. We thank You for Jesus Christ. Help us to worship Him. Help us to love Him. Help us to follow Him and live our lives for Him. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.